when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. This week, President Barack Obama delivered his sixth State of the Union address before a joint session of Congress now completely controlled by his opposition. The Huffington Post's Sabrina Siddiqui was there. She joins us to discuss the oration and the reaction. In that speech, the most newsworthy moment came when the president urged to focus on what he called middle-class economics. The quick hot take was that by doing so, Obama was opening a new round of combat with Republicans. But we'll discuss how a focus on the middle class presents a challenge for Democrats and our political culture in general as well. Finally, once the pageantry of the State of the Union had faded, Congress returned to their typical state of disarray. We'll go over the loudest of the week's face palms. I'm Jason Lincolns. The good news is that there's a brand new Slater Kenny record out, but here's what happened first. Okay, hey, everybody. So we're back again. And I am with today... Arthur Delaney. Yes. And today we're also joined by... Sabrina Siddiqui. Hi, guys. I'm so excited. I feel like I'm on an episode of Serial. It is. We are totally going to solve that murder today. No problem. (laughs) What episode? That's what we do. We solve murders. Cheerios or Fruit Loops? I just like want to talk about the Nisha call. That's what I want to (laughs) do. You want to talk about the Nisha call? Yeah. There's some shit with that Asia lady, the (laughs) alibi witness in the news coming back. Yep. Yep. I still think Anand did it, but whatever. Me too. Yep, yep, whatever. Um, <laughs> controversy. Already we're getting off, already we're pissing off, you know, Team Adnan. <laughs> Any one of those guys listening to the podcast. Is there anyone on Team Adnan? There's totally been, like, that's the thing that the whole, like, um, the, the stuff that they've been doing at The Intercept, Natasha Vargas Cooper and Ken Silverstein, Natasha now is moving to uh, Jezebel. Um, Ken, presumably still at the Intercept. I don't know what's going on at the Intercept. All I know is that they use this weird, like, task completion thing called Asana. Could you imagine? <laughs> could you imagine if we had to like log into some fucking like database to be like, I've decided to do this task. I will keep you updated <laughs> on when it's completed. This whole place would erupt in spontaneous combustion. But okay, but that's one of the things that this kind of this kind of reporting uh, that the Intercept's been doing has revealed is that there's kind of like this Team Adnan, Team J stuff going on. It's like literally like that that well, Team Vampire I just want to quickly like so much. say that with Adnan, I feel like we listened to an entire season of very compelling radio podcast, however you want to refer to it. But I didn't walk away actually changing my mind about much. Yeah, me neither. Other than yeah, they mishandled this, but I I still feel be, like it could be the he, medium was more compelling than what they're talking about. But it was great. That's certainly what the point of this. My life feels is. very empty without it. So clearly, they is, achieved something. It's true. It's true. Arthur, what have you been thinking about this week? I've been watching, uh, just catching up on Downton Abbey. <laughs> okay, I haven't seen no, the last one. No spoilers. No spoilers. We're like a Portlandia sketch. No, I've I've only seen I haven't. <laughs> 
I haven't seen any of the episodes this we season. I, uh, you know what I saw this week? Uh, uh, I watched an hour-long speech by Barack Obama. Oh, that was pretty good, I guess. <gasps> Who? I mean, it's our job to say it's important, right? Is yes. that like a new show? It was a, it was a, <laughs> it was a podcast. <laughs> it was a podcast. They solved so many murders in the State <laughs> of the Union address this year. It was crazy. Um, well, let's talk about let's talk about um, let's talk about the State of the Union because that's a thing that occurred. This week, Sabrina, you were like right up on Capitol Hill. I was. Set the stage for us. The State of the Union was very tired. Um, It was honestly, I think, by all accounts, Obama feeling as though he's been completely freed of the politics that have marred, especially the last two years. It's the age of Ultron of his presidency. Yes. It's not to say that, obviously, in 2013, coming off of his reelection, that he didn't come out with a an agenda that was um you know very progressive he tackled a lot of big issues that none of which actually went nearly as far as he would have liked them to whether it was guns whether it was immigration uh and some of the other big things but this time um i this is obviously the his his first address since the 2014 midterms where democrats suffered heavy losses and it seems like he wants to once again control the narrative tee up what he does best a fight for what is seen as the heart of America for the middle class. That's what he did so successfully in 2012 to be reelected in the first place. And he seems to be kind of setting the battle lines, not just for the next two years in Congress, but also for the next presidential election. Every state of the union, he's been like, the rule used to be in this country that if you worked hard, you could have a decent life. And the rules have changed. Except this time, he said... We have turned the page, and now we're going to write new rules. And he really spoke as if Democrats won that election. I wondered, Sabrina, since you were there, what do the Republicans think of that? Because they actually did just, win just that Just if I could just say, for those of you who don't understand that term, a page is something that used to be popular in like print media and things like <laughs> magazines. You would actually have to actually flip a piece of paper over to get to what's you on o- What he means uh, is you were going to open a new tab. Right. <laughs> About blank. <laughs> America has opened a new tab and on it is garbage. I mean, he talked about Instagram. That's probably what, what a future president will say one day. But look, Republic- this president did say Instagram. He basically, yeah, this president did. Um, but basically, with Republicans, uh, I think that it's not surprising that for the most part, uh, they were vehemently opposed to the vast majority of what he what he said. And they also just found his speech to be divisive and to them ignoring the results of the 2014 midterms where they retook the Senate and uh, made gains in the House by a landslide. Now, they desperately wanted a cookie from Obama the, on, the, on the midterm election. They wanted some kind of what they say is a conciliatory tone that he's tried before. Now, the counter to that, of course, that I think the Obama administration thought about in their own uh, speech writing process was if they Republicans clearly ignored the results of two presidential elections. And that's part of why Obama ad-libbed his sort of mic drop moment. I have no more campaigns to run. I know because I won both of them. Um, That was funny to me because in that moment before uh, before Obama said, uh, I know because I won them both. 
the, the people in the audience, the uh, the, uh, <laughs> the loyal opposition, like started clapping at "I have no more campaign." The right side right. of the room prodded him into that. Right. Ad-lib. So right. so and then and then they get so queasy and whiny about the fact that he like responded. It's just like basic rule, guys. If you if you if you if you dish it out, you got to be able to. Right. Oh wait a minute, were they really queasy and whiny about that? Super queasy and whiny. Who there was? were a lot of people afterwards. Who was? Saying, oh well, I think that maybe he should have. You know. No, not done that. The ad lib specifically. Yeah, there were a few Republicans who 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 did point that out as a, a moment that they found to be uh, a little, I guess, off off the cuff in a way that they weren't too appreciative of it. But I think look, the broader point being, uh, when it comes to Republicans who now control both chambers you- of Congress, the only areas that they would like to work with Obama on, which are two parts of the speech, uh, trade, as well as um, probably some type of corporate tax reform, actually areas where Democrats aren't so uh, much aligned with the, with the president. So when it comes to the majority of what was in his speech about paid leave, college affordability, equal pay, raising the minimum wage, a lot of this is, is considered to be dead on arrival, save for a handful of moderate Republicans up for re-election in 2016. Oh. I sort of see the State of the Union address as something that's not an exercise in trying to persuade people to do things. I see it as an exercise in signaling to other elites in the room what you plan on doing, where you plan on opening up negotiations, the the territories in which you, you're planning to fight. And what Obama does is really what a lot of presidents do. He stakes out territory on things that are already wildly popular with the public, like minimum wage. Um, I think that this this uh, this uh, community college initiative, which, to be honest with you, policy wise, I find to be kind of half baked because if we're edu- if we're giving everyone in the country an associate's degree and then there's no jobs for them, then the whole thing's kind of pointless. But I think that it's promoted because it's already very wildly popular. But from there, it's like signaling: here's where I plan to make my beachhead, and here's what I plan to where I plan to open up negotiations. And one of the strongest signaling moments came uh, toward the end of the speech after he goes on this kind of like extended riff on a new kind of politics where we don't badger and beat each other. That's when he drops in the discussion on criminal justice reform, which is an area in which there is a lot of bipartisan support. And in fact, a lot of Republicans driving the uh, driving toward the goal of like getting rid of mandatory minimum sentencing, you know, reforming uh, the, the, the drug war, so we're not sending you know penny anti marijuana possession uh, cases to jail. It seemed to me like that was one moment where he was sort of saying, "Hey, we can play in this space together if y'all want." The bipartisan criminal justice reform had a lot of momentum last year, but I question whether it still does after the police brutality and subsequent arrest last fall. I I watched the speech at the White House with about 100 people that the Obama administration had invited, and we did a live Q&A afterward with Dan Pfeiffer, who works for the White House. And one of the questions we asked was, why didn't you talk about why didn't the president talk about Ferguson at all? It, it was mentioned in passing when he said, you know, a mother shouldn't have to worry about her son coming home at night. Uh, a wife shouldn't have to worry about her husband coming home if he's a cop uh, on a daily basis. And people, when we asked this question, where was Ferguson in the speech, erupted in applause. So I think it was like the one thing or one thing where the, the liberal base was unsatisfied. And then 
Republicans in Congress, for instance, Louis Gohmert, were so mad that he had mentioned uh, (laughs) that that he even alluded to police doing anything wrong. And I thought that reflected a a new climate that erupted that, that, that we got at the end of last year. And I wonder if it has poisoned the well at all for criminal justice reform. Well, well I, I, it, you know, I think that there are some lawmakers in Congress who have who want to focus on criminal justice reform on both sides. And I, with Rand Paul being one of the chief advocates on the Republican side for it and the fact that he has a very close relationship with uh, Mitch McConnell, who owes him a great deal uh, because of the support Rand Paul gave him in his reelection campaign last year. It's not necessary that we that there won't be even a debate or that if Rand Paul introduces a bill, McConnell won't be in a position where he kind of does maybe have to bring it up for consideration, especially because Rand Paul is also mounting his own presidential right. campaign. And McConnell has said he will support him if he does, in fact, run. Uh, so but but the thing about criminal justice reform is I, I, I don't think that we anyone believes we had come far enough, even though there are some unlikely yeah. bedfellows on both sides, that anything would actually happen under Obama. I mean, that's just kind of the reality, it, it, as cynical as it sounds. It's not it, cynical, it's just true. It's just the truth that the, outside of the must-pass pieces of legislation, fiscal crisis moments, budgetary matters, appropriations, there there really is not much that has actually occurred, and nor is it expected to change now that the White House, uh, of course, faces opposition not just from one, but from both chambers of Congress. And I'm being a little ridiculous if I'm suggesting Louis Gomer is a real barometer of, of Republican thought, Fair you know, Republican attitude. I thought he was basically like the face of the Republican Party. <laughs> but, but well, my favorite part of his of Louis Gomer's response was Very that he well, he had two moments. One is that he just really wishes that Obama was more like his high school basketball coach, who was, I guess, like this really nice black dude. Who happened to be black. And also that he thought that we put the issue of race behind us when we elected the first black president. Oh, yeah. Why is Obama yeah. so divisive like, on that, race? That settled the issue. We got a black president, yeah, guys. Wrong. There's no more race problem wrong. in America. So <laughs> that's that's Louis Gohmert's, um, you know, far, far right opinion. But no, you brought up a good point. Liberals were disappointed that Ferguson was not uh, a major part of his speech. Eric Garner falls under the same bracket, of course, uh, right. that he kind of mentioned it in passing. And I think it speaks to how how events have unfolded since. I, I do think that if those two NYPD officers had not been uh, killed in the way that they had, he may he maybe would have gone further. But that's why he felt compelled to counter sure. Ferguson events yeah. with the police officer because of the heat in a climate in New York and what Bill de Blasio... Even on race, he's always tried to strike that conciliatory tone. Yes. You know, we're not all angels. That's fine. I want to talk about... Um, I want to talk... We were talking about how criminal justice reform may not pass. But let's talk about the stuff in the speech that, like... <laughs> really has no chance. And that is like basically everything Obama had to say about middle class economics and what he wants to do on middle class economics. Um, essentially, it, it's going to be read by Republicans as a call for wealth redistribution. There's no way around that. Um, one of the central components of it is, uh, of course, uh, this community college pr- program that we'd already discussed. But there's also now just sort of a more general call to uh, claw back uh, wealth accrued by the 1% and uh, 
and uh, and 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 spread it around more fairly in a, in 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 a, in a larger population that has not made it out from the Great Recession. And this is something that I think it, it maybe the the most difficult part of this whole State of the Union address to finesse was that Obama had the task of you know you know sort of asserting that the economy's done much better under its watch. And of course, there's a bunch of economic indicators we can point to. We can say, yeah, that's definitely true. But it's also the case that the middle class, the working class, they've not kept up with the recovery. Most of the recovery has been centered in the hands of the wealthy. Um, we don't have a real sense that wages are lifting uh, outside of those few pockets where we're literally lifting minimum wage. And, and again, that's just that's just something that's going to you know, elevate some people in, at crisis levels of poverty. But What's the point of all this? Well, o- Obama, like you said, is saying stuff that is broadly agreeable to people. Yeah. It's no question that the income gains have been hoarded by the rich. And so Obama came out and said, tax the rich. And he's speaking past the Republican Party at this point, even though it was an address to Congress, because people are like, yeah, that sounds fair. And the reaction of Republicans was fairly predictable, except for uh, J- Jason Chavitz uh, of Utah, fairly high-ranking, influential member of the House, said that is the most immoral thing you could possibly do in reference to Obama saying – Immoral? Yeah, immoral. Taxing inheritances. Yes. Something you know, something that doesn't exist for a oh lot of people. God. People, and we're really talking about uh, an increase on a lot more immoral things. Inheritance tax for you know uh, on <laughs> done a few they more just, immoral things. They That's... Just, two weeks ago, they, you know, Islamist extremists gunned down a bunch of cartoonists in France. But this is the most immoral thing. Yes, because it's taking money from rich people. Oh, uh, and I think Obama wanted to. I, I think Obama's got to be thrilled that uh, uh, Chaffetz came out and said that because he wants. To expose Republicans on this, that's he, right. He, he does. He wants to expose Republicans because he knows that one of the flaws I think Democrats faced, or setbacks, I should say, in 2014, is that they did not know how to talk about the economic recovery. And this was granted prior to a lot of the positive news that has come out in the last couple of months. But there is that balance that they have been struggling to find with all of the positive news that we've seen about the Dow, you know, reaching record levels, fastest GDP growth in over a decade, but the majority of Americans still do feel left out. We just had a poll at the Huffington Post last month showing that actually the majority responded. They aren't feeling the benefits of the recovery. They they believe the news and they are they do believe that that we've seen great gains under Obama recently. But it was the it was something like eighteen percent said they feel better off and twenty nine percent said they they don't feel better off. And then the rest of them said they feel exactly the same. And that's what I think he's trying to how he's trying to frame this argument is now how do we lift those people up who have been largely left out and that is of course the middle class, the working class families. That's why he kept going back to those key buzzwords. And also, you know, quite frankly, if we're talking about specific policies, one of the things that happened in midterms was even though Democrats shied away at the national level from talking about the minimum wage, and they didn't, if you looked at Mark Pryor, if you looked at some of the vulnerable Democrats, they didn't want to embrace a federal minimum wage hike. But then across a number of states, as Arthur knows very well, since he's reported on some of this, they, they, the states approved minimum wage increases themselves. So I think Obama is aware of where public opinion is on a lot of these issues. Yeah, sure. And he's helping, he's helping 
stoke these fi- fires. I want to. Uh, Greg Sargent of the Washington Post. He sat in on a dial test focus group uh, with uh, Stan Greenberg's outfit. I forget what they're called, Democracy Corps, or something like that. Um, it was uh, sw- swing voters, and there was it was swing voters that were decidedly in the middle class and persuadable by either party. And so they listened to Obama's speech, and the results of the dial testing were were kind of fascinating. Um, they um, were not terribly receptive to the idea that the recovery was ongoing and fully formed. This is people who, during the speech, have are moving a dial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex- saying with their approved, happiness level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they weren't terribly receptive to that idea. They were very receptive to Obama's ideas when he was talking strictly about what he thought he could do to help elevate the middle class. They were a little not receptive to the parts of Obama's speech that were just sort of pure tribal politics stuff, Um, you know, stuff that was like not outside of the economic issues uh, being discussed that could be read as like kind of a wedge issue between Republicans and Democrats. And I find that interesting because I think that as much as this speech on middle class economics was kind of a challenge to Republicans and, and kind of like the, the planting a flag, we're going to have open combat over these issues. I also think it's a challenge to to Democrats and maybe even to like the entirety of the political culture, you know, because Democrats are going to put forth a nominee in all likelihood it's going to be Hillary Clinton. Um, she's Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Doesn't, she's not someone who necessarily has the easiest time depicting herself as a, an avatar of middle-class economics. Her husband was uh, responsible for uh, the welfare reform that uh, that ended up catching so many people in the backside post-recession. He was you know, responsible for the ending of Glass-Steagall. Uh, and, and doing a lot of things that led to the crash itself. You know, she is, you know, kind of decidedly a one percenter, let's face it. And the rivalry between her and Elizabeth Warren has been something we talked about a lot. I think it's so I think I think that as much as the challenges presents for for Republicans, I think that also, you know, if Obama means what he says, he's also kind of like he's he's also kind of like changing the game for Democrats, who I think can't go back to a campaign like they ran in 10, 12, and then this campaign ran out of juice in 14, which is simply the other guy is nuts. Well, this is something that's already been happening, as we've seen with uh, the boldness of Elizabeth Warren saying no to corporate-friendly aspects of uh, must-pass legislation. And I think Democrats... 
uh, don't have much other choice because they're going to get outflanked by Republicans on economic populism. And uh, a sure signal is, of this is Mitt Romney, of all people, <laughs> casting himself as concerned about poverty and lamenting <laughs> that the rich have gotten richer and and the poor have gotten poorer. And you can't you cannot even say that. I... You can't say that, that is uh, uh, so Republicans are going to come out and indict trickle down economics for the malaise I, that the middle class is currently in if, if Democrats can't let that happen. I, for one, cannot think of a better <laughs> spokesperson for the populist message than Mitt Romney. I can't <laughs> think of a better spokesman for malaise in general than Mitt Romney. <laughs> a, man who, a man who said, I am not concerned about the very poor, is going to say lament the, the income gains at the top and the, the stagnation and of wages. And, and he's going to be a Republican. Who dismissed 47% of Americans for being a bunch of freeloaders. Mitt Romney's going to stand up to those NASCAR owners right now. Well, he's not the only one saying it. He's an example. Yeah. Uh, uh, perhaps an extreme example, but people like Mar- Marco Rubio and others are, are are talking like Elizabeth Warren now, and Democrats. Jeb uh, Bush does too. There's a, there's this kind of return to the idea of the compassionate conservative framework. Because where where was this stuff in from the Obama State of the Union in the last election? It was absent. Yep. Because Democrats were trying centrism, which is uh, you know a, a proven consultant tested tactic. <laughs> it didn't work. No. <laughs> and not only did it not work, but Republicans uh, will will go ahead and steal your lunch and eat it on their way to more electoral victories, unless you ha- you make it an actual policy fight and i think that was the president's goal you know there is there's a movement yeah, so i that i'm i say that uh, by way that i am agreeing with you right I think- okay. good because i wouldn't have to kick you out of here no it's <laughs> fine it's fine i think there's we, we can acknowledge that there is sort of a, a sort of like subculture within the overall republican movement that's that's heavily tilted toward you know a reform of the of, of these kind of staid economic notions uh whether whether or not they just whether or not they actually take over the party that's an excellent question but it's definitely it seems to me that if if the nut you have to crack is if we have recovery and wages aren't going up then there needs to be a new idea something no one's talked about before yeah like i think that that is what's going to drive the 2016 race the new idea that no one's talked about before that maybe isn't part of the monolithic culture of either party that mm-hmm. maybe has to has to has to be something that's new life breathed into it. And it's going to be interesting to see. It's a huge challenge, I think, for Hillary Clinton, who's got to walk the line of presenting herself as like one of the most experienced candidates in the race, but also receptive to ideas that she'd never confronted before while she was accruing that experience. Absolutely. And I think that when it comes to Republicans kind of embracing some of these themes that, that were missing from their prior presidential campaigns, especially similar to what I was saying about Obama and and the Obama administration looking at the polls and knowing that a lot of Americans feel left out of the recovery, Republicans, too, have seen the very same polls, and they know that the key difference, though, is that they can't make the next election solely a referendum on Obama because there is that clash between the positive news and then focusing on that group of people who haven't reaped the benefits and, and also the fact that they aren't running against Obama this time. So they're going to have to come up with some new proposals of their own, and I think you're going to probably hear a lot more of it I think what would be interesting to see also is whether you hear a lot more of it from outside of Washington or whether there are going to be 
lawmakers on Capitol Hill, since there are so many potential candidates who actually put forward something in the next two years that they could maybe even run on. Uh, and you, I mean, I, I haven't seen it yet or any indication that Marco Rubio is going to actually come out and say, well, here's this bill uh, right. that, that's going to raise wages this, this specific way. But you do see a little bit of movement on some issues. I mean, just the other day, Mark Kirk and Susan Collins. Mark Kirk is, of course, Republican from Illinois, up for re-election in 2016. Susan Collins, just mod, token moderate uh, within the party. And they introduced a minimum wage increase, a bill that would, I think, raise it to about $9 an hour. Uh, so that within and of itself is, is a, I think, a recognition yeah. that it's time for them to actually put forward some ideas of their own. They can't simply say, oh, the Obama econ- economy still is, hasn't improved enough. The recovery isn't really what it's made out to be. I yeah. think that's the uh, that was Obama's strategy to basically turn a light on and say, here are things that uh, we that I I will advocate for as chief executive, and they are taxing the rich. It turns a light on in the room, and who will re- which Republicans are going to scurry like cockroaches with their uh, you know economic populism message, and which will be standing there calling taxing inheritance the most immoral thing. You can do, and that—that's what the president wants. People see, and who right. might play ball, and who who right. might play ball. That's a good he way of he issued it. them yeah. a very deliberate challenge. Yeah, definitely. But it's worth—it's a challenge worth taking up. Minimum wage, though. I mean, that's that's so that's easy. You know, everyone likes that, including Republican. Well, voters. Mitt Romney in twenty twelve did say that he was he was for in, in yeah. favor so there, of a minimum so wage. Mark Kirk and inflation and. Susan Collins, they're on safe ground with that one. Definitely. But definitely. when well, who's going to come out for taxing the rich? At a time when soaring economic inequality is like the most salient economic fact, right? And corporate profits at an all-time high. And and, and you and you yourselves are lamenting this. And who will who will now talk? It about would appear that what Republicans are willing to do is tax small businesses who are receiving a credit from Obamacare. Uh oh. If. If they're providing abortion coverage. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's the kind of yeah. tax hikes that they're eyeing. I for. like the segue. This, yeah, very worked- well done. Well done. Very Sarah Kanegi. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, you know, we were getting a little too high minded now. It's time to come back to like what happened after. What did happen? Union. Much of the opposite, I so would you, say. You, you Clown car a go go is what happened after. Well, it was time for the annual March for Life in Washington. That uh, happened this and, week, and it was supposed to coincide with a house, the House passage, expected passage of a twenty-week abortion ban, one of their fetal pain uh, pieces of legislation that has passed previously without much problem in the Republican-controlled House. Right. But uh, infighting erupted over language around the rape exception because it, in the previous bill that was was brought up, seemed to try, again, as Republicans are wont to do, define rape and try and distinguish when, though that exception is valid, when the rape is legitimate, when is it valid, are women uh, subject to exception if they didn't report the rape to the police and basically so so the only uh rape that is that fits for this exception i keep almost saying the word legitimate basically the bill said the only (laughs) rapes are only legitimate if they were reported to police in effect they there that appeared to be which is crazy we're talking about first of all we're talking about a biological process uh that could you know 
lead to pregnancy. And then we're saying, but it's only legitimate if like a legal authority caught wind of it. Well, no one has used the word legitimate. It's just it's uh, that's just the fallback because of Todd Akin and and the infamy that 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 term will live in now. But the Republican leaders ended up. Uh, pulling the bill last minute uh, before they were going to vote on it earlier this week. It was yesterday. amazing. And how does but this keep happening to John Boehner? And even, he... even on the conservative bills, he, there's a last minute, wait a minute, we're not going to have the votes. There were actually, so apparently some of the Republican women in the caucus were the ones who said, we need to be careful. We, 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 this is becoming obviously. Uh, it was Renee Elmers who, of uh, North Carolina. Who previously supported the bill, but but then. You know, there's she's caught in some flack, there, especially from the right, it, for having advocated for its passage and then a, somehow defeated there was a, it. A correction, or sorry, an update uh, to uh, Mother Jones' story on this bill that came in after the bill got pulled. It was priceless, and it, it, it was it's something to the effect. I'm not going to get it right verbatim, but it was like uh, the Washington Post is reporting tonight that the GOP has pulled their abortion bill uh, on the uh, be, because of concerns that it may not uh, go over well with women voters. And I was like, you think? Now, and, and, I mean, uh, fancy that. It Imagine wasn't, that being the case. It wasn't going over Who well thought? with women in the Republican yeah. House conference. How does John Boehner not see this banana peel, <laughs> this, this break, <laughs> this patch of black there ice in front of every There are a lot of jokes time. I could have made right there, but I'm not going to do it. How does? How, but how does? How does he? He is like sideshow Bob, man. Well, it's so like, what? What they? Like what he did? What he did was is the the Republican leaders put forward a much less in their eyes controversial bill that would simply prohibit federal funding for abortion, which they've done a million. Which they times. have done a million times. It's like now, defund Acorn all over again. But now there's a now there's a hiccup in this bill too that you were alluding to, Sabrina. Yes, yeah. Which which refer nice. uh, which our own Jen Bendery wrote about pretty immediately when the switch had been made. And, and can you explain how this works? So currently under Obamacare, there is a provision known as the shop exchange uh, that provides a tax credit to small businesses uh, who are providing services under the Affordable Care Act. But if they include abortion care in their health plans, Republicans are saying no tax credit for you. So Republicans are actually suggesting a tax hike on small businesses, and now we have lived to see everything that was possible on Capitol Hill. We should just call it a day, because the idea that Republicans are, in effect, suggesting a tax hike on small businesses is where they are right now in, try- in terms of trying to figure out what, how to resolve this mess this, Now, this may sound like a tendentious Democratic talking point, but in fact... The withdrawal of a tax credit in in Washington parlance always anything like this is a tax hike. Yeah, that's true. And right. this is just playing by the Grover Norquist rules, where it, it, no matter how it happens, if a tax burden is going up, the tax has been hiked. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And small business. I mean, small business is one of their key. That's they're always out there about try as it being the standard bearers for small businesses and the needs of small businesses and uh, and how to provide relief to small businesses so it's kind of, they're trying to be cheeky here of course because they're they're linking it back to something that for them is a base issue which is the issue of abortion coverage but i don't like arthur just said i, I don't think that changes in washington parlance the fact that if you are taking away a tax credit that is, in effect, tax hike. I, uh, but you know, biological self determination for women is always <laughs> the most auxiliary 
issue of all. <laughs> yeah. Like we gotta we're I, gonna so Democrats will hit this for being a tax hike instead of being uh telling women what to do with their bodies. I wanna point out briefly that while this is happening in the house, something that maybe maybe even more absurd was happening in the Senate. Uh <laughs> this is this is some kind of amendment related to the Keystone Bill. <laughs> uh Sheldon Whitehouse put out a uh, I guess an amendment whereby voting for it confirmed that you admit that climate change is real, which which is easy. It turns out. Yeah, it turns out not so tricky a trap, Sheldon Whitehouse, because just about everybody in the Senate voted for it. But people like except for one Republican, except for one Republican, and I forget why he didn't vote for it. Maybe he was the only one who was just like, "God, oh, this is stupid." Fuck. The guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I like to believe. I like to believe there was one guy, There was one guy in the Senate who would be like, "God damn, this is fucking idiot." Are you Are you familiar with Wicker's uh, rationale for no here? Yeah, I I don't. Rec- I he, think that his. Ex- I don't recall his overall rationale. I but what to me was fascinating about the subsequent vote, and I will pull up his rationale. Um, it was was that the the subsequent vote though was on a Republican amendment by Senator Hoven of North yeah. Dakota. It's real, but man doesn't. But cause right, it. that well, that amendment would have definitively said that climate human activity contributes to climate change, right. and that did not overcome a filibuster. That yeah. fell short of sixty votes because then the Republicans said, "Oh, okay, well, if we're saying that it's man made, then then obviously that's not real. That's right. a hoax." And here is. Um, the the good old uh what what he had to say um well climate change being real though i mean it's it's you don't have to be a scientist to look at what the temperature right, this, was there's so many levels of absurdity yeah. here because first of all white house's bill when like when when a climate denialist jim inhoff got a hold of it was was saying oh i think climate change is I just think yeah. the climate change story that scientists have been peddling is a hoax, so I'll vote for it. And then he voted against the second thing. The other thing is that, like, the fuck cares what Congress has to say about what's real or not? This isn't a system of fucking belief. Uh, climate change is real. Uh, we don't need Congress to well, sign off on it. Apparently, I mean, we do need them to maybe get a grip about what is actually happening in science and the universe. Uh, that would be neat. Apparently, according to the interwebs, there was no real reason. Uh, that that Roger Wicker, the ser- Republican senator from Mississippi, voted against it. Other than history would show that he does not, in fact, believe that climate change is real. Great. He actually great. just disputes the science and believes that. So in he, contrast, so Roger Wicker, far from being the guy who's like cagey and saying, "Nah, this is fucking ridiculous," is actually the one boob in the room. Not in on the joke, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, we. Are. I, he's so the one. He, he's he's the, the one who thought that when his Republican colleagues were putting out the "I'm not a scientist man" and denying man-made climate change, he thought they were all saying climate change is just straight up false. So you're saying he poor, is, poor gasoline on that tiny thread of hope I had. Nope. He is no, the one roadrunner who actually did let the Acme say fall on him. <laughs> but. My favorite part was when that first vote happened, saying that climate change is not a hoax, and and everyone but the one voted against it onlookers were like, ooh, this is interesting. This is a change. And then when the actual vote happened, my favorite part was that Senator Hoven, who was the one who introduced the amendment, (laughs) voted against it himself. So that was much more like the Washington I know, where (laughs) where the senator's like, I'm introducing this this amendment saying that man-made activity contributes to climate change. I don't believe it for a second. I'm just trying to be part of the conversation here. 
I'm just encouraging some debate. Yeah. So, I mean, there you have it. I mean, it's like, I don't know. Congress wonders why people hate them so much. The only thing. It's like a stunt. This is like a stunt. And they all got paid for this. They uh, all cli- got paid Climate for change this. starred in the State of the Union, and President Obama noted 15 of the last 16 hottest years have just happened. And didn't say anything, did not identify the Keystone Pipeline by name, just called it a, a pipeline. A pipeline. So where is the politics of this going? Like, is it... Uh, Keystone that was, it into the politics That was some crazy shade on his part to just be like, this one pipeline is not going to be the answer to it because that's the first showpiece Republicans have brought up in their new Congress. It They're, was the first it legislation. It is the first piece of legislation. It was a big part of Senator Joni Ernst's response. She delivered from, she's a, of course, freshman senator from Iowa, delivered the official GOP response. Yeah. And she called it the Keystone Jobs Bill, not just the Keystone Pipeline. Right. So they are framing 35, it. 35, lucky job holder. They are framing it <laughs> as a jobs bill because that is. I actually think a hip hop barbecue would create more jobs than the Keystone Pipeline, <laughs> to be perfectly goddamn honest with you. Actually, I would be genuinely interested to talk to somebody who's like sitting at home right now being like, I gotta work on that Keystone Pipeline. Well, what's man. fascinating for dream. me, what's fascinating <laughs> for me is that I don't even think that Keystone is as much of a base issue as Republicans believe. I don't think that their base is as riled up. As as they are in Congress over Keystone. That's interesting. So the the totemic political significance of the pipeline legislation and the policy is dr- that's all it is. They aren't out there voting on Keystone. It's more this broader idea of here's this Republican quote unquote jobs bill, and Obama is standing in the way of creating jobs. Right, yeah, that's yeah, really yeah. what they're getting. It. It's, it's not. About. I don't think people actually. At the end of the yeah. day, there hasn't been polling showing that the majority of Americans really care about seeing this pipeline built outside of the handful of states where it would create those jobs well <laughs> good luck uh um, tom brady is handsome <laughs> tom brady is handsome i would deflate a ball for tom brady anyway uh, sabrina <laughs> sabrina thanks for being here with us You're today welcome. we'll have thanks you back definitely me. arthur as always a pleasure to see you in the studio thank you So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by Ibrahim Balki with technical direction from Brad Shannon and assistance from Christine Canetta, Chris Gentleviso, and Adriana Ucero. I'm Jason Lincolns, and this week we are joined by Huffington Post and your politics reporters, Arthur Delaney and Sabrina Siddiqui. So That Happened is available on iTunes, so check us out in the iTunes store and look for the Huffington Post whole family of podcasts. Subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, please send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. As always, thanks for listening. We miss you already. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com. 
the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.